Hello, and welcome to For Starters, from All For One Productions in Fort Wayne, Indiana, the podcast that brings you audio appetizers from time-tested tales for the whole family. Our theater company prepares a full season of values-rich, thought-provoking, family-friendly fare for a local audience. But not every great story makes a great stage play, and there are more delicious tales to taste than we have time to cook. So we've created this podcast in order to expand our menu, introducing a larger audience to a wider array of literary offerings. Our actors will read you a chapter or two, tell you a bit about the whole work, and point you to where you can read, watch, or listen to the rest of the story. We hope you'll enjoy what you hear and that it makes you hungry for more. This podcast is produced with the support of the Community Foundation of Greater Fort Wayne. Our audio appetizer for today is taken from J.M. Barrie's novel, Peter Pan. Barry was born in Scotland in 1860. He was a voracious reader from childhood and loved playing at pirates with his school friends. After studying literature in university, where he wrote drama reviews, Barry began writing serialized stories for the newspapers. He also started to write plays. Peter Pan, or The Boy Who Wouldn't Grow Up, was written as a stage play and was first performed in London at Christmas in 1904. One interesting feature of the script was that it specified that Peter should be played by a girl, a convention still often followed today. We should point out, in case you're curious, that for today, Peter Pan will be voiced by a boy. After a string of other successes as a playwright, Barry developed Peter Pan into a novel which he originally titled Peter and Wendy. It was published in 1911. In 1929, Barry gifted the copyright of Peter Pan, both the play and the novel, to the Great Ormond Street Hospital, a London children's hospital. Barry died in 1937. Peter Pan's copyright status today is a bit complicated, but in most of the world, it is considered to be in the public domain. The excerpt you will hear is chapter three of the novel. In it, Wendy and her little brothers, John and Michael, are in bed in the nursery when they receive some surprising visitors. For a moment after Mr. and Mrs. Darling left the house, the nightlights by the beds of the three children continued to burn clearly. They were awfully nice little nightlights, and one cannot help wishing that they would have kept awake to see Peter. But Wendy's light blinked and gave such a yawn that the other two yawned also, and before they could close their mouths, all three went out. There was another light in the room now, a thousand times brighter than the nightlight. And in the time we have taken to say this, it had been in all the drawers in the nursery, looking for Peter's shadow, rummaged the wardrobe and turned every pocket inside out. It was not really a light. It made this light by flashing about so quickly. But when it came to rest for a second, you saw it was a fairy no longer than your hand, but still growing. It was a girl called Tinkerbell, exquisitely gowned in a skeleton leaf cut low and square, through which her figure could be seen to the best advantage. A moment after the fairy's entrance, the window was blown open by the breathing of little stars, and Peter dropped in. He had carried Tinkerbell part of the way, and his hand was still messy with the fairy dust. Tinkerbell, he called softly, after making sure that the children were asleep. Tink, where are you? She was in a jug for the moment, and liking it extremely, she'd never been in a jug before. Oh, do come out of that jug and tell me, do you know where they put my shadow? 
the loveliest tinkle as of golden bells answered him. It is the fairy language. You ordinary children can never hear it, but if you were to hear it, you would know that you had heard it once before. Tink said that the shadow was in the big box. She meant the chest of drawers, and Peter jumped at the drawers, scattering their contents to the floor with both hands as King's Toss happens to the crowd. In a moment he had recovered his shadow, and in his delight he forgot that he had shut Tinkerbell up in the drawer. If he thought at all, but I don't believe he ever thought, it was that he and his shadow, when brought near each other, would join like drops of water. And when they did not, he was appalled. He tried to stick it on with soap from the bathroom, but that also failed. A shudder passed through Peter, and he sat on the floor and cried. His sobs woke Wendy, and she sat up in bed. She was not alarmed to see a stranger crying on the nursery floor. She was only pleasantly interested. Boy, she said courteously, why are you crying? Peter could be exceedingly polite also, having learned the grand manner at fairy ceremonies, and he rose and bowed to her beautifully. She was much pleased and bowed beautifully to him from bed. What's your name? Wendy Wara Angela Darling. What's your name? Peter Pan. She was already sure that he must be Peter, but it did seem a comparatively short name. Is that Hall? Yes. He said rather sharply. He felt for the first time that it was a shortish name. I'm so sorry, said Wendy Moira Angela. It doesn't matter, Peter gulped. <laughs> she asked where he lived. Second to the right, then straight on till morning. What a funny address. Peter had a sinking feeling. For the first time, he felt that perhaps it was a funny address. No, it isn't. I mean, Wendy said nicely, remembering that she was hostess. Is that what they put on the letters? He wished she had not mentioned letters. Don't get any letters. But your mother gets letters. Don't have a mother. Not only had he no mother, but he had not the slightest desire to have one. He thought them very overrated persons. Wendy, however, felt at once that she was in the presence of a tragedy. Oh, Peter, no wonder you were crying, she said, and got out of bed and ran to him. I wasn't crying about mothers. I was crying because I can't get my shadow to stick on. Besides, I wasn't crying. It has come off? Yes. Then Wendy saw the shadow on the floor looking so draggled, and she was frightfully sorry for Peter. How awful. But she could not help smiling when she saw that he'd been trying to stick it on with soap. How exactly like a boy. Fortunately, she knew at once what to do. It must be sewn on. What's sewn? You're dreadfully ignorant. No, I'm not. But she was exulting in his ignorance. I shall sew it on for you, my little man, she said, though he was tall as herself, and she got out his sewing bag and sewed the shadow onto Peter's foot. I dare say it will hurt a little. Oh, I shan't cry, said Peter, who was already of the opinion that he had never cried in his life. And he clenched his teeth and did not cry, and soon his shadow was behaving properly, though still a little creased. Perhaps I should have ironed it, 
Wendy said thoughtfully. But Peter, boy-like, was indifferent to appearances, and he was now jumping about in the wildest glee. Alas, he had already forgotten that he owed his bliss to Wendy. He thought he'd attached the shadow himself. How clever I am! Oh, the cleverness of me! It is humiliating to have to confess that this conceit of Peter was one of his most fascinating qualities. To put it with brutal frankness, there never was a cockier boy. But for the moment, Wendy was shocked and exclaimed with frightful sarcasm. Of course, I did nothing. You did a little, Peter said carelessly and continued to dance. A little? If I am no use, I can at least withdraw. And she sprang in the most dignified way into bed and covered her face with the blankets. To induce her to look up, he pretended to be going away. And when this failed, he sat on the end of the bed and tapped her gently with his foot. Wendy, don't withdraw. I can't help crowing, Wendy, when I'm pleased with myself. Still, she would not look up, though she was listening eagerly. Wendy, Wendy, one girl is more use than twenty boys. Now, Wendy was every inch a woman. Though there were not very many inches, and she peeped out of the bedclothes. Do you really think so, Peter? Yes, I do. I think it's perfectly sweet of you, and I'll get up again. And she sat with him on the side of the bed. She also said she would give him a kiss if he liked. But Peter did not know what she meant, and he held out his hand expectantly. Surely you know what a kiss is. I shall know when you give it to me, he replied stiffly. And not to hurt his feelings, she gave him a thimble. Now, shall I give you a kiss? If you please. She made herself rather cheap by inclining her face toward him, but he merely dropped an acorn button into her hand. So she slowly returned her face to where it had been before and said nicely that she would wear his kiss on the chain round her neck. It was lucky that she did put it on that chain, for it was afterwards to save her life. When people in our set are introduced, it is customary for them to ask each other's age. And so Wendy, who always liked to do the correct thing, asked Peter how old he was. It was not really a happy question to ask him. It was like an examination paper that asks grammar, when what you want to be asked is kings of England. I don't know. But I am quite young. He really knew nothing about it. He had merely suspicions. But he said at a venture, Wendy, I ran away the day I was born. Wendy was quite surprised, but interested. And she indicated in the charming drawing room manner, by a touch on her nightgown, that he could sit nearer her. It was because I heard father and mother talking about what I was to be when I became a man. He was extraordinarily agitated now. I don't want ever to be a man. I want always to be a little boy and to have fun. So I ran away to Kensington Gardens and lived a long, long time among the fairies. She gave him a look of the most intense admiration, and he thought it was because he had run away. But it was really because he knew fairies. Wendy had lived such a home life that to know fairies struck her as quite delightful. You see, Wendy, when the first baby laughed for the first time, its laugh broke into a thousand pieces 
and they all went skipping about, and that was the beginning of fairies. Tedious talk this, but being a stay-at-home, she liked it. And so... He went on good-naturedly. There ought to be one fairy for every boy and girl. Ought to be? Isn't there? No. You see, children know such a lot now. They soon don't believe in fairies, and every time a child says, I don't believe in fairies, there is a fairy somewhere that falls down dead. Really, he thought they had now talked enough about fairies, and it struck him that Tinkerbell was keeping very quiet. I can't think where she has gone to, he said, rising, and he called Tink by name. Wendy's heart went flutter with a sudden thrill. Peter, you don't mean to tell me that there is a fairy in this room. She was here just now. You don't hear her, do you? And they both listened. The only sound I hear is like a tinkle of bells. Well, that's Tink. That's the fairy language. I think I hear her too. The sound came from the chest of drawers, and Peter made a merry face. No one could ever look quite so merry as Peter, and the loveliest of gurgles was his laugh. He had his first laugh still. Wendy, I do believe I shut her up in the drawer. He let poor Tink out of the drawer, and she flew about the nursery, screaming with fury. You shouldn't say such things. Of course I'm very sorry, but how could I know you were in the drawer? Wendy was not listening to him. Oh, Peter, if she would only stand still and let me see her. They hardly ever stand still. But for one moment, Wendy saw the romantic figure come to rest on the cuckoo clock. Oh, the lovely! She cried though Tink's face was still distorted with passion. Tink, this lady says she wishes you were her fairy. Tinkerbell answered insolently. What does she say, Peter? He had to translate. She is not very polite. She says you are a great ugly girl and that she is my fairy. He tried to argue with Tink. You know you can't be my fairy, Tink, because I am a gentleman and you are a lady. To this, Tink replied in these words, You silly ass, and disappeared into the bathroom. She's quite a common fairy. She's called Tinkerbell because she mends the pots and kettles. They were together in the armchair by this time, and Wendy plied him with more questions. If you don't live in Kensington Gardens now... Sometimes I do still. But where do you live mostly now? With the Lost Boys. Who are they? They are the children who fall out of their perambulators when the nurse is looking the other way. If they are not claimed in seven days, they are sent far away to the Netherlands to defray expenses. I'm captain. What fun it must be. Yes, but we are rather lonely. You see, we have no female companionship. Are none of the others girls? Oh no. Girls, you know, are much too clever to fall out of their prams. This flattered Wendy immensely. I think it is perfectly lovely the way you talk about girls. John there just despises us. For reply, Peter rose and kicked John out of bed, blankets and all, one kick. This seemed to Wendy rather forward for a first meeting, and she told him with spirit that he was not captain in her house. However, John continued to sleep so placidly on the floor that she allowed him to remain there. And I know you meant to be kind, so you may give me a kiss.
For the moment, she had forgotten his ignorance about kisses. I thought you would want it back. He said a little bitterly and offered to return her the thimble. Oh dear, I don't mean a kiss. I'm, I mean a thimble. What's that? It's like this. She kissed him. Funny. Now, shall I give you a thimble? If you wish to, said Wendy, keeping her head erect this time. Peter thimbled her and almost immediately she screeched. What is it, Wendy? It was exactly as if someone were pulling my hair. That must have been Tink. I never knew her so naughty before. And indeed, Tink was darting about again using offensive language. She says she will do that to you, Wendy, every time I give you a thimble. But why? Why, Tink? Again, Tink replied, you silly ass. Peter could not understand why, but Wendy understood. And she was just slightly disappointed when he admitted that he came to the nursery window not to see her, but to listen to stories. You see, I don't know any stories. None of the Lost Boys knows any stories. How perfectly awful. Do you know why swallows build in the eaves of houses? It is to listen to the stories. Oh, Wendy, your mother was telling you such a lovely story. Which story was it? About the prince who couldn't find the lady who wore the glass slipper. That was Cinderella, and he found her, and they lived happily ever after. Peter was so glad that he rose from the floor where they had been sitting and hurried to the window. Where are you going? To tell the other boys. Don't go, Peter. I know such lots of stories. Those were her precise words, so there can be no denying that it was she who first tempted him. He came back. And there was a greedy look in his eyes now, which ought to have alarmed her, but did not. Oh, the stories I could tell to the boys. Then Peter gripped her and began to draw her toward the window. Wendy, do you come with me and tell the other boys? Of course, she was very pleased to be asked, but she said, Oh dear, I can't. Think of Mummy. Besides, I can't fly. I'll teach you. Oh, how lovely to fly. I'll teach you how to jump on the wind's back. And then, away we go. Oh! Wendy, Wendy, when you are sleeping in your silly bed, you might be flying about with me, saying funny things to the stars. Oh! And, Wendy, there are mermaids. Mermaids? With tails? Such long tails. Oh, to see a mermaid. He had become frightfully cunning now. Wendy, how we should all respect you. She was wriggling her body in distress. It was quite as if she were trying to remain on the nursery floor. But he had no pity for her. Wendy, you could tuck us in at night. Oh. None of us has ever been tucked in at night. Oh. And her arms went out to him. And you could don our clothes and make pockets for us. None of us has any pockets. How could she resist? Of course, it's awfully fascinating. Peter, would you teach John and Michael to fly too? If you like. He said indifferently, and she ran to John and Michael and shook them. Wake up! Peter Pan has come, and he is to teach us to fly. John rubbed his eyes. Then I shall get up. He said. Of course, he was on the floor already. Hello, I am up. Michael was up by this time also, looking as sharp as a knife with six blades and a saw. But Peter suddenly signed silence. Their faces assumed the awful craftiness of children listening for sounds from the grown-up world. All was as still as salt. 
then everything was right. No, stop! Everything was wrong. Nana, who had been barking distressfully all the evening, was quiet now. It was her silence they had heard. Out with the light! Hide quick! Cried Jean, taking command for the only time throughout the whole adventure. And thus, when Liza entered, holding Nana, the nursery seemed quite its old self, very dark. And you would have sworn you could hear its three wicked inmates breathing angelically as they slept. They were really doing it artfully from behind the window curtains. Liza was in a bad temper, for she was mixing the Christmas puddings in the kitchen and had been drawn from them with a raisin still on her cheek by Nana's absurd suspicions. She thought the best way of getting a little quiet was to take Nana to the nursery for a moment, but in custody, of course. There, you suspicious brute, she said, not sorry that Nana was in disgrace. They're perfectly safe, aren't they? Every one of the little angels sound asleep in bed. Listen to their gentle breathing. Here Michael, encouraged by his success, breathed so loudly that they were nearly detected. Nana knew that kind of breathing, and she tried to drag herself out of Liza's clutches. But Liza was dense. No more of it, Nana, she said sternly, pulling her out of the room. I warn you, if you bark again, I shall go straight for Master and Missus and bring them home from the party, and then, oh, won't Master whip you just. She tied the unhappy dog up again, but do you think Nana ceased to bark? Bring Master and Missus home from the party? Why, that was just what she wanted. Do you think she cared whether she was whipped so long as her charges were safe? Unfortunately, Liza returned to her puddings, and Nana, seeing that no help would come from her, strained and strained at the chain until at last she broke it. In another moment, she had burst into the dining room of number 27 and flung up her paws to heaven, her most expressive way of making a communication. And Mr. and Mrs. Darling knew at once that something terrible was happening in the nursery, and without a goodbye to the hostess, they rushed into the street but it was now ten minutes since three scoundrels had been breathing behind the curtains, and Peter Pan can do a great deal in ten minutes. We now return to the nursery. It's all right, John announced, emerging from his hiding place. I say, Peter, can you really fly? Instead of troubling to answer him, Peter flew around the room, taking the mantelpiece on the way. How topping! How sweet! Yes, I'm sweet. Oh, I am sweet, said Peter, forgetting his manners again. It looked delightfully easy, and they tried it first from the floor and then from the beds. But they always went down instead of up. I say, how do you do it? asked John, rubbing his knee. He was quite a practical boy. You just think lovely, wonderful thoughts, and they lift you up in the air. He showed them again. You're so nippy at it. Couldn't you do it very slowly once? Peter did it both slowly and quickly. I've got it now, Wendy, cried John. But soon he found he had not. Not one of them could fly an inch. Though even Michael could read words of two syllables, and Peter did not know A from Z. Of course, Peter had been trifling with them. 
for no one can fly unless the fairy dust has been blown on him. Fortunately, as we have mentioned, one of his hands was messy with it and he blew some on each of them with the most superb results. Now, just wiggle your shoulders this way and let go. They were all on their beds and gallant Michael let go first. He did not quite mean to let go, but he did it and immediately he was borne across the room. I flew, he screamed while still in midair. John let go and met Wendy near the bathroom. Oh, lovely. Oh, ripping. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. They were not nearly so elegant as Peter. They could not help kicking a little, but their heads were bobbing against the ceiling and there was almost nothing so delicious as that. Peter gave Wendy a hand at first, but had to desist. Tink was so indignant. Up and down they went and round and round. Heavenly was Wendy's word. I say, why shouldn't we all go out? Of course it was to this that Peter had been luring them. Michael was ready. He wanted to see how long it took him to do a billion miles. But Wendy hesitated. Mermaids. Oh. And there are pirates. Pirates? cried John, seizing his Sunday hat. Let us go at once! It was just at this moment that Mr. and Mrs. Darling hurried with Nana out of number 27. They ran into the middle of the street to look up at the nursery window. And yes, it was still shut. But the room was ablaze with light. And most heart-gripping sight of all, they could see in shadow on the curtain three little figures in night attire circling round and round, not on the floor, but in the air. Not three figures, four! In a tremble, they opened the street door. Mr. Darling would have rushed upstairs, but Mrs. Darling signed him to go softly. She even tried to make her heart go softly. Will they reach the nursery in time? If so, how delightful for them, and we shall all breathe a sigh of relief but there will be no story. On the other hand, if they are not in time, I solemnly promise that it will all come right in the end. They would have reached the nursery in time had it not been that the little stars were watching them. Once again, the stars blew the window open and that smallest star of all called out, Cave, Peter! And then Peter knew there was not a moment to lose. Come! He cried imperiously and soared out at once into the night, followed by John and Michael and Wendy. Mr. and Mrs. Darling and Nana rushed into the nursery too late. The birds were flown. In this episode of For Starters, you heard Stacy Muncie as the narrator, Gabriel Warren as Peter Pan, Michaela Barricky as Wendy, Finley McLaughlin as John, and Elton McLaughlin as Michael. Thank you for joining us for this episode of For Starters. I'm Stacy Custer. And I'm Lauren Nichols. And you just heard Peter Pan. And we know that we're not introducing anything new here to anybody, but... Well, except possibly the act, language of the original story. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we know... I, I can't imagine there's anyone who doesn't know Peter Pan in some context, even right. if it's peanut butter. <laughs> right? Yeah, so it's a great story, though. It's so much fun. And 
Um, you know, we just wanted to be able to share yeah. this with you. And my first introduction to Peter Pan was, of course, the Disney movie. Yes. Um, so this story, actually, the original story is a little surprising to me because oh. um, even in this chapter, when you hear um, Peter described as cunning, mm -hmm. Or, you know, the, the children are wicked, the three, you know, wicked, whatever, breathing in the nursery, you know. Um, it's, it's a little bit darker mm -hmm. than uh, the Disney story that yes. I grew up with. So this was a little bit of a surprise for me. Fine. I, I don't know that my experience of the story is that much different. And I, I, I agree. I still I find the original darker. But the Disney is not what I was introduced to. It was the Broadway musical. My mother had seen Mary Martin's live for television version um, of the musical. That was something that was a big thing in the 50s. Mm. They did yeah. uh, teleplays based on uh, stage plays, and they did them live broadcasts. She saw Peter Pan. She must have been in her early teens and was just enchanted, enthralled by it. And then it was done a second time a few years later in color. And she had been telling me about this for, it seemed like forever, but honestly <laughs> I saw it when I was four, so how long could it have been? Uh, but I remember her taking me down to, to my grandparents' house because they had a color TV and she wanted me to see it in color. And it was enthralling. And so to me, that is kind of still defines Peter Pan for me. Sure. Mary Martin and Cyril Richard and, and that music that I, I loved so well. And then, um, our local civic theater did the musical when our boys were little and we took our oldest. I think he was four and oh, I took nice. him to see it. And he, I don't, I don't remember now whether we had ever read them any version of, of the book, but he was so captured by that musical. And he came home and for days, I, Peter Pan, <laughs> jumping off the couch. and. So afraid he was going to break a leg because he was constantly, <laughs> I felt like he, he almost was convinced he could fly. I said, you know, don't jump off the stairs. Right. But um, so it was always the, uh, it was always that stage version that really, um, that's what comes to my mind when I hear yeah. Peter Pan. Yeah. Disney, the Disney didn't make nearly as much impression. Yeah, and I've never seen a stage version, and I'd probably oh, think no. that the stage version was a little odd mm -hmm. because it's the Disney version is what I have, sure. you know, become accustomed to. So, I've had I've had a copy of the book for years, and I have to confess, I've never read it all the way all through. Way through. Intended to. <laughs> so many times. Yes. But yeah. but having just heard this little bit, I love the language and the. Yes. It has that same kind of wry sense of humor that is playing to the adults um, yes. that we were talking about last week with the, those Edwardian children's writers. They really weren't writing down to kids. They were writing for a, a general audience. Yeah. And so it has an appeal for all ages. And there were so many lines that the narrator had, especially <laughs> yes. where she's talking <laughs> about... So you know, the kids and the, the one part in particular that made me want to laugh out loud every time was um, when they're breathing and Liza and Nana come in yes. and they're pretending to be asleep and then Michael is a little too overzealous <laughs> and almost gets them caught. And, and Nana knows it, yes, but, but Liza's being, being kind of obtuse. Yes, so. I love that part. And I, you know, I don't know. It's just, 
the turn of phrase that's used yes. there and there's the expression. Oh, I just love it. It's, it's so funny. It's charming. And uh, Peter Pan is not only, um, I think, a well-known commodity in its own right, but it has inspired so many derivative kinds of works. I think you and I both instantly thought of that wonderful Robin Williams movie, Hook. Yes. Hook, I love Hook. Which I think, well, you have different experiences. Our boys loved it when they were little boys because there were so many little boys in it and mm -hmm. having these crazy adventures. But adults got it in a different way. It was very poignant. Yeah, watching him have to rescue his children yeah, and, that. and rediscover that, like, child inside even yes, like that, that joy for life yeah that I remember yeah. finding that um, there are parts of it that really choked me up oh absolutely yeah absolutely it's a wonderful movie has some shortcomings but, yes, but for the most part it really is a wonderful movie and, and then Finding about? Neverland yes which is about J.M. Barry himself and how he was inspired to write Peter Pan that's a yeah. that's a lovely film about his life he was he was a very interesting man. I don't know that anybody has really a definitive grasp on who he was. He was, he was a singular person. Um, but the, the, the family that he befriended with all those little boys really made an impression on him. He was their uncle, and when their, their parents died, he became their guardian. Oh, but wow. they were the inspiration, the Llewellyns, I believe. I don't know. I've never actually seen Finding Neverland. So. That, I would strongly okay. recommend the movie. It's, it's, it's a lovely, lovely movie. It's, that's a bit of a tearjerker. Mm. But um, beautiful performances in that. Um, Kate Winslet and Johnny Depp. Oh, I love Kate Winslet. Good. She's good. Um, and then Peter and the Starcatchers. Yes, the Dave Barry um, young adult novel series are prequels. And then that has been adapted into a play with music, which I haven't seen. But I read the first book, and that's... That's also very entertaining. Good. So there's something about that, the boy who doesn't want to grow up, mm. and the being able to fly away and have an adventure <laughs> in, a, in yes. a different place, which, which is dangerous, and yet ultimately safe. It, I think that there's an interesting um, tension in Neverland would be between, well, is it really dangerous? Because everything always seems to come out fine and yeah. it, it almost feels as though it's part of the definition of Neverland right that the worst thing never happens there yeah so kind of a well it's a it's a fantasy right and the narrator even says you know I promise right. everything will work out in the end yes yeah if you want to hear the actual um, story uh, obviously you can read it you can read it on Project Gutenberg you can find it in I'm any sure bookstore yes and multiple yeah. copies I'm sure um, even if you have to ask for it as Peter and Wendy. But if you want to listen to the rest of it, my good heavens, there, <laughs> there are dozens of different versions on Audible that I could see. Yeah, you have options. Yes, <laughs> abridged, unabridged, dramatized. Yeah, anything you want. Um, oh, you wanted me to address <coughs> yes, the language. The language. Uh, this is definitely a G-rated podcast and we don't want you to think that we were using gratuitous profanity or vulgarity <laughs> um, but really for the Brits at that time um, to call someone a silly ass was calling them a donkey honest it really <laughs> is what it, it's, it is really one of the meanings of that word so tell your children <laughs> yep. but you might not encourage them to use it in their right. own 
play. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to use the phrase. <laughs> it's but also in, that's also in the the play. Yeah, and it's um, it's also in uh, the movie Hook because I remember watching that when I was younger and going, "Oh, Tinkerbell said a bad word," and then um, you know realizing what they actually meant by it. So. We've come to the end of a season. How is that possible? We have. We've done five of these. Yeah. I'd love to do five more. Absolutely. I think yeah, it will be up to our audience. Let yeah. us know what you think and if you'd like to hear more. We've, we have had a terrific time. We have. It's been so much fun. And we've got to work with a number of different actors. Some um, that we had never worked with before. Quite a few, actually, that we hadn't had the chance to work with before. And a number of young actors who we were thrilled to be able to include in this project. And um, we hope that you've enjoyed hearing their voices and enjoying their talent. And um, you let us know what you want to hear. I mean, we're, you know, we're doing this for you. So Absolutely. we want to know what you think. We want to know the books that you want to hear. Um, Again, public domain books because we want to avoid copyright That's issues. That's right. That's right. But um, but sometimes the old books are the best. And sometimes until yeah. we meet again, I happy do. reading. <laughs> this production was recorded and engineered by Frosty Pictures with the support of the Community Foundation of Greater Fort Wayne.